1: Flash, flash. Splash Weather Repel Premium Windshield Wash features a three-in-one formula that repels rain, sleet, snow, and bugs while leaving a streak-free shine. And its advanced beading technology keeps you seeing safely all year long. See
2: safely
3: on the road
2: when you apply a little
1: splash. Pick some up at Walmart today.
3: Sip on the go with a Starbucks ice shaken espresso. Our signature roast, shaken with ice, then finished with a splash of milk. Customize it to match your style on the Starbucks app. Make today a good day.
1: Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And a special offer to I'ma Let You Finish listeners, you can get 10% off your first month at professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash I'ma Let You, I-M-M-A-L-E-T-U. That's betterhelp.com slash I'ma Let You, I-M-M-A-L-E-T-U. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast.
3: What's up, everybody? It is me, Court Montias. I'm going to let you finish. It's show 98. Amy is traipsing across the globe. So I'm just going to have a conversation with our special guest. She's a living legend. She's an icon. She is the moment. And we're going to discuss her amazing new and... 30 years in, finally a self-titled new album, Ultra. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ultra (laughs) Nate. Hi, darling. Hi. Hi, 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 hi. Okay, first let me just say this and let me just get this part out the way. Because you know how I feel about you, so I don't need to do that 20 million times. But I'm going to say this. When I was starting the show and I was looking to have a partner... When uh, a friend of mine said, you know, Amy, you guys should sit and talk. I was like, it needs to be somebody who gets my musical style and knows whatever. So I was like, listen, there's certain artists I like, and you have to know who that is. And I can't have you being like, well, I'll fi-. I was like, I'm a huge alternate fan. And as we're talking, she reaches her hand over and pulls out a blue notes in the basement cassette. Ah, yes, instant <laughs> street cred. And she, I was like, "Bitch, we're doing the show. The show's <laughs> done. The show's done." Right. Okay, so I listened to your new album. I like Bill has sent me a link. Mm-hmm. It is really, it's an incredible body of work. I think it is absolutely your strongest work to date. It is really, really amazing. But what it made me do, because it's, to me, it is the, the grown sister to Blue Notes in the Basement. Because Blue Notes in the Basement was, that was this young woman, young girl, that's her first album, and she has some things to say. So before we get to this new one, I've always wanted to wonder, what were your hopes and dreams with Blue Notes in the Basement? What did that girl want? What did she see when you made that record?
0: You know, that was such a uh, a special moment in time because so many things came together um, just with the universe conspiring to make things happen because I was completely unaware of the processes of a lot of things and kind of what I was diving into. And I was learning on the fly with everything um, from from Go because I wasn't... I wasn't already a, a singer, a songwriter, an artist by any means. I, I started doing it, you know, diving in at the deep end, you know, in front of people and um, with a, a real audience and a real demand. And unbeknownst to myself, the first, the first offerings of that were, were kind of done as a lark, um, kind yeah. of just like fun stuff to do in the studio as a first time, never having been in the studio, never having written a song, never having sung a song and um just really organic and raw moment in w- where house music was at that time where there mm-hmm. were no rules there was no template and we were well, it's all new inadvertently yeah. creating the template and creating right. the, the rules and 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 designing a whole a whole new genre of music without really knowing understanding that that's what we were doing so we had this this kind of innocence in a in a way um and just this open playbook to write our own story in, in whatever way that was. So we were coming from complete underground club culture. Um, everything was really off, the, head, off the, the top of our head in terms of the beats that the boys were making, the sounds they were coming up with, what I was writing, how I was singing. Um, everything was really organic and in that moment. Um, there was nothing contrived. There was nothing predetermined before we went in it was just like okay what are we feeling in this moment this is what we're gonna do this is what we're gonna do we, you know let's let's just see what happens everything was let's just see what happens and the craziest thing was everything that we were like let's just see what happens Let's just you know go off started sprint, working you know
3: was just working. working right
0: it was just really working <laughs> and there were so many things um, from the, the creative side of what we were making musically to the business side of um, you know now I'm, I'm signed to a record label, and I didn't see that coming. You know, it's a major label, Warner Brothers in the U.K. I'm doing music that's coming from this underground community here in Baltimore that's now being put on a platform for the masses and on a mainstream level. And, you know, what that journey was like was completely crazy. It was kind of like being a, an observer of your own art at the same time that you're making it, you're still observing it like, wow, okay, that is really, like, what are they hearing? You know, but, for many years with it's over now, I was like, what are they hearing?
3: But, okay, but here's the thing that I find interesting about that. It's really organic because my, one of my, still one of my best friends, Leon Gibson, we met in college. And he, oh, he said to say, what's up, Miss Ultra? He loves you. <laughs> leave- we, we bonded over you. I was the music director of the school radio station. And we got, it's over now. And it came in. And I remember opening it. And it was the art. We were both like, who, 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 who the fuck <laughs> is this? Like, what's this? Oh, God. What's know, this? Right? We need to play this. And then all of a sudden, we were like, oh my God, there's just something about that beat. And it is a moment in time, it is a classic moment. And then for the gay under, you know, I'm, I'm of that age of the gay black clubs in New York tracks Mm -hmm. well it's over now scandal your songs were a soundtrack to a moment so it was working because house music was so new and then suddenly certain house artists were being signed to major labels and this is what i always found appreciative about you and i wonder so it's a happy accident But you were an album artist, and you've stayed an album artist. So why was that something in your genre where you know a lot? First of all, I shouldn't say your genre, because I see you as a black artist who is a black music artist whose subgenre in a black music artist is a house music artist. And you have done more than house music. If people go and they listen to all of your albums, they will see Justice for Stranger to, Stranger to Fiction. You guys need to go back and listen to Stranger to Fiction more and One Woman's Insanity. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> I, I do think if you How it did a, I
0: get on that track right, of being an yeah, album artist is the, right, craziest, yeah. is the craziest experience. You know, Cynthia Cherry- was my A&R person. And mm-hmm. she was the Basin Boys A&R person when she was with Jump Street, which was a much smaller independent label. And when she left, she was going to Warner Brothers. That was you know, where she was going to uh, interview for a uh, director of A&R. And she was taking It's Over Now with her as something she wanted to sign. So that's how It's Over Now ended up at a major label because she got that job and her and Peter Edge were now my A and R people, and um, I started writing more. They wanted me to continue writing. I had to write for a second single. There was it, was it was a deal for a 12 inch with an option for follow up, obviously. Yeah. So I started writing for that, and also Adiba was really huge at the time. Right. And Adiba was kind of like my my real, like cold water reality moment that you know this could be
3: real for me this
0: is like a whole different game you are no longer in this underground you know community of like this is just our little our little you know thing that we do on the weekends that the rest of the world doesn't know about because Mm. when i landed in london for the first time to shoot the video for it's over now it was pictures of a diva everywhere Billboards everywhere in in the airport, and I was like, "Oh, Dorothy, you, you're definitely no longer <laughs> in Kansas.
1: This is right, a, this right. is a
0: whole different level. This is commercial,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know."
0: So I got that memo at that point. A diva was they were putting an album together for for her, and they were asking for tracks from, from different people, places, whatever. So that opportunity came across my my lap with the Basement Boys to possibly submit something. So I wrote um, a song for that with the hopes that maybe, you know, it might end up getting placed. And the thing was, like, I wasn't like, oh, my God, a diva needs a record. Let me come up with an A Diva record. It was really like, you know, the boys had this opportunity. Like, well, you know, we have an opportunity to write for a diva. Let's come up with something. So I was just very casual about everything. Like, oh, okay, well, you know, nothing to lose. I've got nothing to lose. So let me just just give it a shot. And that was the spirit that I approached everything in. So the song that I wrote didn't get chosen for A Diva's album. But what it did do was show the label that I had
3: more in you, uh, uh,
0: uh, more to to me than just um, this one track, one dimensional writing style of like really underground. Because the song that I wrote was very R and B, it was a whole different whole different voice. It was a whole different style of writing, um, and so they came back with an album deal because Cherry convinced the label, like you know, we've got it's over now. This is this is this record has a lot of heat on it. It had you know great great vibe on it and. Um, was doing well in the charts it it entered the pop charts in the UK and it's like are we not going to have this artist signed to an album deal you know so they changed you know my deal that turned into an album deal and I just continued writing and so suddenly the order of the day became we're writing for an album so I was like okay well you know we'll just continue doing what we've been doing and just you know, the boys would play a track and I would listen to it and be like, okay, this is what this inspired. And then so suddenly Scandal came to life and, and you know, Rain and, and Sands of Time and this and that. And, you know, we the three of us were, well, the three of them and myself, because I was considered the original Basement Girls, my always been my nickname, but mm-hmm. with the boys and myself... We came from like a really diverse background of music. And we love, you know, obviously R&B and soul. So when I did my first audition for the boys, I sang Angela Winbush, Angel.
2: And not because like I thought I
0: could kill it or anything. Mm. It was just like, that's what I was listening to. Regina Bell, Angela Winbush. Well, that was the time they were were all over
3: the radio at that time. They they were were big stars and those songs were
0: huge. Exactly. Luther Vandross, things like that. So those were the things when it came time for me to actually sing a song, not having been a trained vocalist in any kind of way, but that's what you draw on is that music that you listen to all the time and what you're listening to growing up, Marvin Gaye. And and so putting all of that in a basket and also, you know, I was also heavily in my church. So I was in the -hmm. the choir. I sang in the choir, but I wasn't the screaming diva, which in my mind is what a lead vocalist is. Like you're the screaming diva. You know, on Sundays, but that right. wasn't my thing. Like, I was carrying my background section, and we, right. we were, you right. know what I mean. Which is a so very important, was, important
3: part of the song. Hello. Yeah,
0: so that was like really a revelation for me to now right. be like, I'm a, I'm a singer. What? What are you, what are you
3: talking? About? You're like, and evidently, I have an album deal. So there's, and I have an <laughs> album deal on Warner Brothers. So you know what? Right.
0: I don't know what's happening here, but somebody, somebody's feeling it. So I'm just yeah. gonna go with it.
3: Right. So then we move on to. One woman's insanity. Now you bring in, and this is what I love about your career because if you, this is why I, I think of you as a black music artist. You did not, you have worked with every, I mean literally probably every dance producer known across this universe. Like everybody wants to work with you. But you've also worked with people like Nellie Hooper. And you work with Nellie Hooper at a time when It was really hot to be working with Nellie Hooper. And you come with this body of work, which definitely now the U.S. company is clearly involved. It's leaning more R&B, but it's a great record. And you have your first number one with Show Me. Do you remember how you felt seeing, oh my God, I have a number one record. This was all a happy accident, and now I have a number one record.
0: Yeah, that that whole period was uh, pretty wild (laughs) for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I was... Kind of in a in a uh, internal state of of uh, gag, <laughs> really, mm-hmm. um, at all the things that were happening, both you know, great and small. Um, by the time One Woman's Insanity happened, Cherry had decided she wanted to come back to the states, so my my contract was transferred from the UK label to the US label, mm-hmm. and that was a completely different animal because now I was being. Uh, Sold to a very specific demographic, whereas in the UK, I felt like musically the audience and the label really got what we were doing as a dance slash house club building kind of uh, music that then has commercial appeal. Right in the US label, they really did not
3: interested. No, well, they're like if you're black, especially at that time, they're like we want an R and B record.
0: Yeah, it was That's very, what bad. It was. and it was yeah. kind of tricky because the boys also, you know, it was a matter of all of our growth. So the boys also had that um, really difficult place as producers of where they felt comfortable, where there's where their development love, developmental level was at that time. Um, did they want to step into being R and B producers in that right. way? You know, right. we still had our great love for dance music. We still had a great um, following worldwide of fans that were supporting us, we we kind of didn't want to alienate them completely, right. like trying to now shift to the left and be some other thing without a real foundation um, here with the U.S. label. And I think there was also just that, you know, anyone that's dealt with major labels knows that there's that political backdrop Absolutely. that happens with, you know, who signed who signed this artist? Yep. You know, if you didn't sign this artist, then there's kind of, not so much love and loyalty towards making this really work, you right. know, of, of moving all of the chains between all of these departments that have to work together.
3: And unfortunately, in especially to- in black music departments, especially, especially. and especially yeah. in the black women, like we could do a whole show on that, how it's like, there's yeah. somebody who really gets that there's something special, tricky. because when I worked at Columbia, there was, there was a, a one person in particular, she was black, they signed her and she was really alt and different. And they were trying to ram her in this R&B sort of black box. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's not who she is. That's not like... Mm-hmm. Why is it just because you see somebody as black, you think it has to be R&B? And that happened during that period, if you notice. There are a few of your contemporaries who got a, maybe a second album. They, the, you could tell the U.S. labels really tried to be like, you need we need you be on R&B radio. Oh, very, it was a very weird, absolutely. weird, weird time. With, they
0: tried it with, with all of us. And yeah. um, you know, it, I think they just really were throwing things out there on the wall mm. to see if anything would stick. I don't think that they were really working from a place of building from our international fan base to help connect the dots with a U.S. fan base in that way. Um, because that, the underground scene has no value, had no value at that time. At all to them. Right and, right. and that was part of like what the whole death to disco movement was, was to take the power out of the clubs that were building these hits on a club level and then dictating what was working in the charts right? Um, and what was, what was selling. So that was the whole backlash, but that, that same backlash didn't happen abroad. So records that were born out of the dance disco era didn't were not approached as you know uh, second class citizens or as like the black sheep of the family,
3: right? As they go
0: as they are here in the U.S. So it was a really tricky uh, walk that we were trying to walk um, in trying to meet the needs of the label so that they would have what they need to go to radio, um, but still be able to. Satisfy our underground and dance music audience abroad. Well, and so you know, we did the best that we could by ma- making that album this hybrid of those two worlds. You know, for better or worse,
3: it's a great think, album, um, and it holds you know, up. And that. I th- and I think if people listen to it today, it's a great album that deserves a re listen. But then you say, okay, I'm going to leave Warner Brothers, and then here comes the juggernaut that no one saw coming, you decide it to release... that simple. <laughs> right, right. That's so
0: simple no, later it on. Does,
3: it does. does it, right, doesn't it always, because it's like, the career is such a... This is why it's amazing that, A, we're on the, the precipice of this new album, you're still releasing albums. You're at the top of your form. You're still you're you're a citizen of the world. Every time I look at your Instagram, you are somewhere else in the world performing at a pride in countries that I didn't even know. How, I'm like, they have pride there. They have pride there. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's like there's a pride there. And and still at that pride, people that may not even sing English are all singing alternate songs, which is amazing. And I think that when we get to the situation critical era. And you release Free, this little song called Free, which is celebrating this year its 25th anniversary. And baby, when people hear the version, one, you're singing it again on this album. Mm-hmm. And then a little birdie stuck me a snippet, clip it for two seconds over the phone of another version <laughs> that made me fall out my chair. And I'm like, oh, I said to her when I saw that Natural Hair Ultra was around, That she was not fucking around. You guys are not fucking around. But anyway, here comes Free. Now, all of a sudden, you're actually having some main success in America. And across the world, this is just an explosion. Do you remember your state of mind, like, when all of a sudden... That Because that takes, you can have your fame, like, in in all of your areas. But when you start to have that, a song like that, that still resonates 25 years later, that's a game changer in a career. Do you remember what it was like for you at that moment in time?
0: Oh, I remember everything about it. It really feels like it was only 15 minutes ago for me, actually. Right. But, you know, I, I have to say, like, you know, first, I didn't choose to leave Warner, you know. Right. I was dropped. Right. Because they didn't get it. They didn't get mm-hmm. it, and they weren't interested at that point in right. trying to get it. And right. that needs to be really clear because, you know, Good. the livelihood of people, like you put 110% of your life, your heart, and your soul into, you know, making these these, these moves and, and, and developing this career, and it can all just go out the window in a heartbeat with someone who just like, "Mm, I don't get it, (laughs) you know, and it's done. So it's, it was really like a sink or swim moment. Um, And coming from a place of, and uh, my plan was to go into, into medicine initially and I discovered the the club music scene. And in that club music scene, I met the basement boys. And in meeting the basement boys, I started singing and, and making songs and suddenly ended up with a record deal. So when I came to that fork in the road, it was kind of like, huh, well, that was, Just fucking amazing. And is now the moment where I get back on the path that I was originally on, because Mm -hmm. at this point, you know, it probably had been about six years. um, Not too long to just, you know, get rolled back into what I was planning to do as a life path, which was to go into medicine and eventually become a doctor. So, you know, I could easily get back on that track. And um, Bill and I... You know, and, and part of, you know, the large part of the story is Bill, always in the background, you know, like the man behind the green curtain. Right, right. Pulling right, levers, right, <laughs> right shifting right, things around, you right. know, um, was very instrumental in a lot of the way that I was presented initially as an artist, by making sure that I stood out in the forefront as opposed to being overshadowed by my producers, which is hugely pop- popular in dance music, especially Absolutely. for black women, black voices, um, so The voice without a name. Way. Yeah, so th- things like that, things like, you know, ag- again, I knew nothing about the music business when I came into it, educating me um, uh, on what kind of deal I was even in. being in a production deal. So you didn't
3: even know, you had no idea. I mean,
0: I knew on, I knew on a, on a surface level, but I didn't understand all of the intricacies and the economics and
3: what it all actually meant. The economics of it, you
0: know, how the deals were structured and things like that. What, what the nature of my deal was with Warner Brothers. I didn't even know because I was in a production deal. So a lot of that information wasn't privy to me, but knowing and understanding where the, how those things came together. And then, you know, second album, One Woman's Insanity, the new necessity of meeting that that US R&B-ish kind of need with our, our dance culture and success that we've had in the UK and abroad with that, finding that place. Again, Bill was part of that. You mentioned Nellie Hooper earlier. It was Bill bringing in these other kinds of producers and collaborators for me to continue to grow further as an artist, as a singer, and as a songwriter. And so that was a large part of that evolution over the course of both those albums, was my manager who's also a creative himself, but also the kind of manager that understands what being an artist is about and how and, and being able to see how to move the shells in order to keep us going forward, you know, right. avoiding the traps and the pitfalls in order to keep things moving forward. So I was in a I was in a very charmed state of having that that level of protection around me that a lot of artists don't have in having, um, you know, producers initially that were from my hood, that were friends that were like family and, and being in a record deal where my A and R's completely gave me carte blanche to make the kind of records I wanted to make, to write whatever kind of records and sing whatever I wanted to sing in the way that I wanted to sing them. And then having management that like got all that as well and knew how to, to take that, that rawness, that rough, those rough bits and how right. to continue to massage it and nurture it and push it forward and put right. it with other people that would help me grow even further. So after all of that heavy lifting, we come to this moment where Warner drops us. And right. it's like, do I go back into medicine on that track or do I continue forward? With what I've accomplished so far is having these two incredible albums on a major label that i never saw coming and having these body, this body of work of, of songs that I've written that actually mean something to people that actually resonate with people in a way. And that's just something from, from my own, from my own little self that has become bigger and will live forever. Right. So there was this, this level of value that I quickly got at that point and we decided we're going to go forward we put a lot of work into this. We need to go forward, and we need to to see it through.
3: And it so pays off. Started, and then it does. But it you know, you don't off. see
0: that. You don't know. No. All you well, when you're in
3: it, you're working hard. That's the thing about success. I always tell people yeah. the lessons don't really come from the successful stuff because you're really busy when you're successful. It comes from the things like you said, getting dropped from Warner and remembering that and that detail and what that felt like and what that meant because those are the times you have to make the really hard decisions. Like I've worked, I've worked projects that have been really successful and it's like a blur and then i have the ones that i really loved and we tried everything and it didn't work and i remember those detail by detail because it meant something to me and it's like why didn't that work and that's where the lessons came and trying to maybe try to do something different so now you have so now you have this album you're all over you're on tv in europe you're having now you're having real pop hits in the uk and you've got one of my personal favorites, "New Kind of Medicine," and then we we follow up with with uh, "Stranger Than Fiction," which to me mm-hmm. is the masterpiece in in your whole oeuvre. There's something about that album. It's a tricky so one. Funny. Everybody
0: has their favorite yeah. album. They're like, yeah. no,
3: this is the one. This well, the well, one. to me, the classic is always going to be Blue Notes because to me, Blue Notes is right. the one where I fell in love. That's that that. But that means something because I'm so connected to that album from. Just being out dancing and those songs, really so many nights of that. And then me and Leon following to see you perform. We've seen you perform everywhere. Red Soap, <laughs> Mars. Like, if you were there, if you know, there were certain people. You remember it, that time. There was a good time about there, to be had. <laughs> There were certain people that the club was always packed if they came. When you came, packed. Jomanda came, Packed there were certain people who had the songs and we were like, oh, ultras is that da-da-da dot, dot, dot tonight. Well, get there early, bitch, because I'm not trying to be squished up in the corner by the bar. Yeah, that's probably what got her. helped
0: get me dropped, actually. You know?
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that club was so packed and the security guard would not let Benny Medina in with me. And I think that was what I got Right,
3: started. and you were like, and next thing you know, they were like, there's no deal for you, ma'am. There's it's, no deal. I mean, deal. I'm telling
0: you the truth. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you the truth. That security guard clapped him at the door. He was mm-hmm. like, you can't come in this way. This is the only artists. You gotta go
3: through the front door, and right. Monique, I think the next week <laughs> you, they were like, "You have no." That's all was dropped. <laughs> so <laughs> it was <laughs> even my phone. Right, enough. <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> <laughs> It's like the shady New York club culture, honey. They do not mm-hmm. give a fuck. Because you know he knew, he knew who Betty you know,
0: Medina was. But anyway, you that's
3: You he happened. knew who... You, yeah, totally. totally. Another thing that I find interesting that art, like like you said, having a manager who understands art and music video have been very instrumental since the beginning of your career. And as a dance artist, most dance artists or or who, who work in that field or house music do not really do a bunch of videos. And when I look back on your career, it really is from album to song to song Art plays such an important part in image and eras. Do you think about it as you're recording the music? Because I also know that you're not a person who records your albums in five minutes. You really do take your time and you write and you put these projects together. So as you're going through songs, like say with the new album in this era, was it a conscious decision, you know what? For this era, I'm not gonna do any of my adorned metal pieces or have things made. I'm going with my natural hair. Like even with the first album, the way the lettering was, Stranger to Fiction with the books and just everything was, it's really tailored to an era. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I do. um, And I don't, it's really weird because like from go, that's how I've approached album projects. Even when I didn't really know what I was doing you know, because I guess I was just always visual in that way. Um, I always kind of saw what it should look like in terms of how it should sound. You know, it was, it was a complete picture in my, in my mind. Um, and some of them are really specific beforehand. And some of them kind of come together after the fact or in collaboration with other people that I'm working with Um Blue Notes was definitely in collaboration with the label, with the photographer, with everybody that was kind of in the, in, the, in the pot at that moment. Um, One Woman's Insanity's visuals were really driven by Eric Johnson, the photographer. Um, we really kind of, we, we, Eric and I worked together really from almost from the beginning. So we had this this great synergy um, in terms of aesthetics that, that always really came through very easily for us. By the time I was approaching situation critical, I already knew what I wanted that to look like, because I named the album first. And so everything worked from the concept of situation critical and what that should look like. And that should look minimalist and and stark. And so the hair, the makeup, the way things were shot, the tattoo on the neck, like everything was was the, the acupuncture needles, like, all of that was by design initially as I was writing music. And I was writing for that album even when I didn't have a music deal, when right. I didn't have a record deal in place after I was dropped from Warner. And even before I wrote Free, actually, we were already, we always being myself and Bill mm-hmm, <laughs> and now mm-hmm. Angelo as well. Yeah. But, it, you know, we were always working from a place of it's not in front of us right now, but we're working towards our end goal. Right. And the end goal is the next album and so we're putting our next album together
3: yes, if you stay back. ready you don't have to get ready I, I feel ready like the artist all of the stay time ready. So stay we were, ready i was
0: going back and forth you know getting getting in the studio with with various collaborators writers producers whatever whoever made time you know i didn't have a record deal at the moment so but i did have a great reputation and um you know great work working relationships with a lot of people so getting into work with people was never really difficult And I would just, you know, go and write, go back and forth to New York and write and write and write towards the album. And then when Gladys Pizarro came into the picture, Gladys was strictly rhythm. I knew obviously everyone in New York culture, club culture, knew strictly rhythm. They had a great reputation for building records on the street. Um, They had guerrilla tactics so they could make a decision. Today and, and have that record on the street this weekend in the hands of all of the, the the Tastemaker DJs and building a profile and on that record on club level like that. And that was the kind of energy that we needed for whatever the next thing was going to be because the, also the music was changing, the industry was changing, and now those, the deals were starting to change. Sonically, what was happening in radio, what was happening in the clubs, things were changing. Which always happens with music after right. a few years, you know, right. things start to evolve different ways. And I didn't think that it made sense for us to um, shop for another major label deal. Bill, Bill, Bill and I kind of sussed that out very, very quickly that that's going to be more of a drama to try to go into another major label deal. I had gotten older at that point; probably I was approaching twenty-five. Ah,
2: mm-hmm.
1: You know, <laughs> <So> <laughs> right. ancient
0: already. You right. know what I mean? So um, we decided we were going to look. something independent stay independent but it needed to be independent and still have capital they still need to have money because they still needed to have budgets like we had been to the mountaintop so we knew what it would take to make a record successful you have to have budgets And I was never really interested in just being on a label to put out a record for the sake of putting out a record.
3: Like nope, because it's your name. You have to go out there. Yeah, what's the, you know? And it's really hard because I always tell people it's just as hard to do the bad ones as it is to do the good ones. It's just (laughs) as hard, and it's just as much work. Like you don't get a pass. Like and sometimes it's really hard when I have, you know. Listen, I've had some records that I love to promote, and I've had other ones where, you know, I have to be like. It's great. <laughs> you know, it's it's really, it's really really hard. And I always felt, it's interesting, I'm glad to hear you say that from an artist's perspective because one of the things that I had a real issue with and I would, you know, I, I've had different bosses kind of at different times, we've gotten into it. They say, but you work for the label. I'm like, I know I work for the label when I did. I say, but these people have entrusted me with their dreams. It's mm-hmm. like... I have to do my best to try to make this work it's someone's dream and it's like when I sit across and I take a meeting with you and you tell me what your dreams are and it's for my department how do I not do my best even if I don't love this song the most it's like I see that and I and I always it was lovely to hear that from an artist's perspective because you guys do work really hard and it's really interesting to see how a new regime will come in and just mm-hmm. be like, oh yeah not even give oh, yeah I don't even know that like what's that I don't know that I don't, don't and not even give it and just just <laughs> drop things so now you go ind- independent and you have success and then you put out your two strictly with them. yeah when I did
0: the label the label deal with uh, strictly which was for two again for two 12 inch records right <laughs> not for an album initially right. they quickly changed that mm-hmm. you know the kids yes. They have their plan and then we have our plan and somehow it always ends up at our plan. So right, yeah.
3: and you're like, I just so happen to have this album <laughs> <laughs> It's right here. I didn't know I was recording or anything, but here it is. Oh, and it's gonna come with some real bops on it that people are absolutely going to love. And I'm yeah. still performing. By the time today. I did
0: but by the time I wrote free, I probably had like sixty-five percent of the Situation Critical album written. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, you know, more writing while I was on the road, but that was pretty nuts because Free hit, like, out out the gate.
1: Right.
0: And that that moment when we crafted that song, again, we being myself and Bill, mm-hmm. and he brought in Lem and John of Mood mm-hmm. to Swing as producers that I should work with for this, um, this first record with Strictly Rhythm. Mm-hmm. And I loved them. At the time, I hadn't met them before, but I knew their music. And I loved all of their tracks. I mean, their right. sound was just...
3: Yeah, they had... Yeah, they re- really, really, really well really produced. Fierce, You yeah, know, the, there absolutely. are some producers
0: that are like, you love their sound, but they're underground to the point where they wouldn't sound good on radio in a real right. way. Like, unless mm-hmm. somebody else mixed their tracks and, and mastered their stuff or whatever, mm-hmm. to, like, bring it up to that level. But Moo to Swing always had that level yeah. where their mm-hmm. music sonically sounded great and warm and soul but still like punching bass and so they had that amazing combination. And when I met Lem and John, I mean that was so easy because, you know, Lem and I immediately, you know, were the the, the, like the love song queens, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Right
0: (laughs) and then John was just like the glue to like put these ideas together and we had a really great marriage between all of us with the ideas that we wanted to do. And discussing like what we were listening to, what we were doing, you know, Bill was doing Cheryl Crow, feeding me a lot of music. That's another thing he does a lot. Also, he feeds music and you know, he feeds oh, music to everybody. And I love it. Both like, of, you we need to listen, listen to this.
3: And I'll send <laughs> him something like, have <laughs> <He's> you heard <laughs> this? You'll have, you heard this. Listen, th- you don't know how many times he would tease me. He'll call me on the phone and be like, your girl and play 10 seconds of a beat or something. And I hear your voice and I'm like, I need that now. And he's like, you can't have it. I'm
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> Shady too. Shady I'm like, too.
3: <laughs> Don't do that to a girl because you know, you know. Shady, so, shady, shady. so now you have this hit and like, like and you know, and I know we can sit here and go through your whole catalog, which is, you know, we're, I, oh, before we get that.
0: <laughs> See, it's hard. Right?
3: <laughs> it is hard because I have to talk about black stereo faith for a minute. Okay. I do. Because that album was 10 years in the making and it was so worth it. I love that you are not afraid To just do different things. And you and Quentin Harris made, to me, a a dance album that will stand generations. And I always love that you guys are saying shit. You say a lot of shit. I don't think people also realize all of the time when they're singing along, sometimes I think they should stop and listen to what they're actually singing and realize you're talking about something. Like on this new album with rich motherfuckers, you're saying some shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually very real over a yeah. really fierce beat. And people are going to be like this, and they're going to get that refrain. But when you actually listen to the lyrics, it's like, that's factual <laughs> right mm-hmm. there. So, mm-hmm. you know, has it always been important for you? And even like with that Black Stereo Faith album, why did it take you guys so long? And I was were working
0: you. On, well, two albums at, a, right. at, the, at the time. I was right. working on Hero Worship and right. Black Stereo Faith simultaneously, which, mm-hmm. you know. Quentin always admits, why did it take 10 years? years." But when I approached him to make that record, I told him that I was already working on the beginnings of my Hero Worship album, which at the time was going to serve its purpose for having a dance, EDM-driven, more commercially viable kind of record in the marketplace Mm -hmm. because that's where the music internationally had gone at the time. Right. So from... From a business standpoint, it was very important to put a record like *Hero Worship* out at the time that I needed it to go out. Right. But I was still, you know, with my split-brain focus, working on this 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 record that did not care about what was going on in charts, did not right. care about what was going on 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 in uh, underground club dance floors or mainstream club dance floors, and just was really soulfully mm-hmm. about. The record I wanted to make at that moment, which was incorporating a lot more live mu- musicianship, which was working with one single producer as opposed to a collection of different producers to complete an album work. Um, I hadn't had that moment since basically since I did Blue Notes from the Basement. And I wanted to capture that again, you right. know, where you get into a cipher with someone and you are just vibing back and forth on just this whole body of work and And there's a cohesiveness that comes to that when it's
3: literally one producer it really is we amy and i talk on the show a lot about a one producer album because i think multi-producer albums can be great but it is that moment when you're working with one that you guys because you have the references of everything you're doing
0: exactly
3: exactly it it creates a different kind of chemistry between those songs and the artist and producer
0: And I wanted to revisit that again. Like I missed having that kind of just uh, synergy with someone in a collaborative way. And also, you know, Quentin, both Quentin and I were on the road a lot. And so we're on the road a
3: lot. You're still on the road a lot. Right. So (laughs)
0: that drug it out even longer. Right. And, um, you know, so it was it was kind of a a bunch of circumstance as well as the fact that hero worship needed to happen first.
3: Yes, it did. And fun fact, but I really feel right. like like
0: a lot of people on a, <laughs> on a on a on a commercial level haven't caught the wind of Black Stereo Faith, and right. that's okay because I didn't expect them to. You know, it was put out on myself and Bill's labels collaboratively, my Blue Fire label with P- in partnership with Peace Biscuit. So it was it's been self financed. Everything that I've done basically since like two thousand three two thousand four, mm-hmm. all of those records have been self financed um, since then. So here we are, album number nine. Looking at it number ten and still being able to make full length albums is is still an accomplishment Absolutely. and a success in and of itself because i feel like when you have that commercial level success happen which in in my mind of course will happen always happens you know if you're just consistent the universe is going to conspire to help you win anyway just
3: keep going if right. you just and keep and so all those things going. can be
0: rediscovered mm-hmm. and
3: right.
0: now that music lives you know into perpetuity on the internet and wherever and the way that people playlist and they, you know, shuffle music and they, you know, Spotify things, bring things together that you might not have found before, you know, all of those things are going to be found and appreciated, you know. At some point. It lives forever. Anyway, in a it lives forever. Yeah.
3: And Black Stereo Faith is one of those albums, and you know, I'm glad I, we're talking about it now. And, and folks that listen to the show do tend to go and be like, "Oh, I listened to that album you talked about." So, really, everybody, you really need to check this album out. It's really, really great, great, great house, but really soulful with some things to say. It's summer. We've all been inside. It's the perfect thing for like being at the beach, driving to the beach, getting yeah, ready to go out on Saturday that night. Of, that kind
0: of record. That you know kind what I'm saying? Kind of album,
3: you have your friends you know, coming over Friends over, exactly. And you put it on and it's the <laughs> yeah. full one. It's the actual full one. So let's get to, you have 25 years of free, right? And, you, and, 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 and it's on this new album again. You're singing it over. We have a self-titled album 30 years into the career. Usually the self-titled <laughs> album is the one where people are saying, this is who I am. And to me, it is, you're always a, dan- a house music diva, but you've done a lot of things. This really is a, it's such a counterpart to Blue Notes to me, because Blue Notes said, this is that young lady who's got a whole life ahead of her in her dreams. And now here comes Ultra, and that says, here's that grown woman who's a woman of the world now, who is really rooted in music and has something to say. And now I'm giving you a perspective of a version of me who's seen a lot, been through a lot. What does this new record mean for you? And what do you want the people to get from it when they finally are able to hear it this summer?
0: Well, you know, it, for me, it's, it's basically everything that you just said. It's a culmination of 30 plus years of dis, of self-discovery of, Different experiences, experimenting in different genres and vibes of music, of being comfortable in my own skin, of being in control of my own destiny, um, and as opposed to when I first started, and there were all of these other players who controlled a lot of a lot of the things that you know were making things go. Um, and when you're young and you're and you're thrown into that kind of situation, it's like, okay, well, let me. Let me just see how this goes and where this is going to land. I don't know what's going to happen. Now, you know, years and years later, I can speak with a, with a certain level of authority because I have nothing to lose. I have, you know, no one can take away, you know, the 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 long list of of music and the body of work that I've done and the accomplishments and the collaborations and things like that. So, you know, I stand at this place Um, In my life where if I didn't make another record, I am completely gratified in what I've accomplished and what I've put out in the world. And so that this this album Ultra should speak to that of of being completely um, in my own skin and and proud of what I've accomplished and still feeling viable in so many ways um, and approaching the music, this music in my own my own terms, you know.
3: It's really excellent. And, you know, Miracle is out now. It's on track, I believe, exclusively until the end of this week. And then it's everywhere. And, you know, guys, listen. This album, I was was really, um, I was like, wow. She is firing on all cylinders. There's not a filler track on this album. It really is. From moment to moment, you sound—you are vocally at your best right now. Production is at its best. It's really, really, really well done. And for the summer, I think that anybody who wants to dance, they're going to just lose their shit. Now, it's also Pride season. You, mm-hmm. I feel, are one of the queens of Pride. And <laughs> what—and what is amazing is there are a lot of people who get booked for Pride and. It must make you feel great that, yes, you have the songs that people always want to hear, but you always have a new Fierce Bop, too, for them to hear. And Mm -hmm. this year, we are finally getting the (laughs) oft-delayed, live-with-a-band performance at Lincoln Center for one of their Pride shows on Thursday. It is a free show, kids, in New York. Go to LincolnCenter.com. Go to their page. You can either just show up that day, or you can get an early ticket for free if you want to reserve one. It is a seven thirty. Doors open at six. Seven thirty performance on Thursday, August twenty third. I've seen you with the with the band because I went to that Black Sarah Faith rehearsal. I missed the last New York thing you did with the band, which was many years ago. I'm so excited that you won that it's not Miami because seems like you come to New York every three months but all of a sudden you're a child <laughs> in Miami it's like every other week it's like you're trying to, to be attention. like yes Miss Think, it's very Miss I Miami have. she's like oh Miami I'm here Miami I'm here on Friday Miami Miami oh New York I'll be there in September but Miami, you know I I'm here this week. My birthday, it's been like my birthday, Miami. This Miami, hey social number three, Miami. I'm playing on the roof, but yes, I said it. I'm paying all the way attention because we get we get one date at every six years, and meanwhile, Miami kids are like, Ultra oh, was just here. Oh yeah, she's coming back Tuesday. Yeah, it's
0: just that. It's so true. I'm so sorry. I, <laughs> Listen, I have been in protest since the pandemic, you know. Right. <laughs> I've been in silent
1: protest. Right. <laughs> of, <laughs> it sucks, I know. It's like the cold. The cold. Of yeah. the rain
0: and the mm-hmm. darkness that mm-hmm. the Northeast has been giving me. She's and been giving been a been lot like of
3: things, yes. Running to Miami to just mm-hmm.
0: gather myself. Right. Because <laughs> the, the two years of pandemic... Did me in. It was ferocious. Mm -hmm. It was major. It was life changing. Yes, I'm coming out of it with this amazing album, and that has been the upside of it because all of these songs were written through the pandemic during that time, and and that was part of what really kind of kept me sane was being able to get out of my bed every day and have that sense of purpose of. I'm picking up the thread from yesterday and right. continuing to write and and, and um, having that sense of purpose. Because with all your purpose being snatched and your your lifestyle and the things that, you know, bring you joy, being able to go to the gym or yoga for me or, or going to dance. I still right. have to go out and dance, hang out with my friends, just right. going to dinners. I couldn't travel for work. Like everything is like, you know, it, it really was cathartic for me to be able to at least write and then when things opened up, I was like, I've got to go to Miami, dog. Right. I need sunshine. Mm-hmm. I, need, I need the sand. I need to earth. I need to put my feet in the earth mm-hmm. and be just healed and rejuvenated by her frequencies because I felt like I was losing my mind like it's, everyone else. Does.
3: I still feel like I have a little PTSD from it all. It was a oh, lot of absolutely it was men- absolutely. mentally I feel it's yeah. like this show save this show saved me. Amy and I we, we we had just started at the beginning and then everything kind of shut down and we were like, well, let's just continue to do it. And that really gave me something to do. It was really, really many things. You've been so gracious. It's been listen, it's been you know how I feel. <laughs> it's like, I absolutely think that your catalog of work stands up with the best of them and that Billboard absolutely got it right when they named you one of the top dance artists of all time. You know what I mean? Of all time. It kind of it's kinda time. crazy. Like, of all time. I was like, okay. I hit Bill, I was like, Bill, bitch. <laughs> Ultra's like, no, but I was like, she, Number and twelve, even. And I, was right, like, and I, I was like, and she's like, I'm in the top half of this motherfucker. I was like, that's how it sh-, but that's how it should be. Because you've been consistent. You've been making consistent work. So my last question to you is Baltimore. What does Baltimore mean to you?
0: Oh, you know, that's been like my, my reset button. You know, that's where all the glitz and the glamour kind of fall away. And it's just home. It's the places where I went to elementary school. It's the streets that I grew up on. It's, you know, hanging out with my five friends from high school and doing, you know, five-star and new edition songs and and trying to learn the choreography in the middle of the street.
3: You know, it's Mm. going to
0: grab snowballs and and, um, playing dodgeball and um, being bullied by some crazy boy in my class when Mm. I was in sixth grade or something. Something, you know, it's just like, it's just... It's the fabric of, like, what has shaped me in a lot of ways. And there was, you know, a really vibrant underground house music culture that happened here. And that raw energy of dance music in the way that I received it, and in very fortunate circumstances because of our godfather, House Wayne Davis, mm-hmm. started, you know, bringing the music here of Paradise Garage mm-hmm. to Baltimore at his venue, Odell's. Mm-hmm. Mm. And as I grew up and started getting into my later high school days, I suddenly fell into that moment and fell in love with sound system culture and Mm. the dance floor and the energy of nightlife and all of that. So it's part of my story of how I even got to this moment, you know, in in a very real way. It was very real circumstances of this community that brought me to that place. And it's always been kind of like a place to come back home and reset where I'm not where I don't have to be on in, in a certain way as I do when it's time to go on stage or whatever. I could just come home and kind of reset and, and be amongst the friends that I've had for the last 30 some, 40 some years. Um, and just kind of cut up and be myself. And I, and I have had the absolute pleasure of being able to travel around the world, you know, since, you know, my early adult years. So I've never really had to think about well, where else do I want to live? Because I kind of live everywhere anyway, you know? So I've had that, that blessing. So for me, it's like, it's where my family is. It's where friends that have known me since before the records or have been along the journey and understand just the minutiae of what my life is. You know, right. I think you, you need that in a way or you can easily kind of get caught out there or caught up.
3: It's very family. grounding. I think, yeah. you know, if you have the real friends, because, you know, some people realize some of the people are not really their friends. But if you have real friends, those are going to be your real friends. Like you, you will meet some people who may be famous and do what you do and you and you'll have a lot of acquaintances. But everybody needs the people who know them and have known them. If you can keep, if you have a real circle of that, that's like golden and I always say you have to protect it, especially as an it's artist, totally because they're the ones who don't give them. a fuck about your hair, your makeup, if your song was number 10 and number 100, they don't care. They just want you to be happy, healthy and be their friend. So, mm-hmm. I just want to say to everybody you can follow Alternate at Alternate Music on Instagram Alternate on IG where else can they g- get you and see you and see all of the stuff oh man I'm,
0: I'm on all the socials mm. I think everything is under Alternate yeah, yeah everything yeah, you have your YouTube channel trailer, you see Facebook, all of it the videos.
3: but oh, I tell man. guys listen the new album is coming it's coming this summer it is coming Miracle is now on track source but if you Miracle's go Miracle's here honey is, she's here and on the 6th she of will the be ages, everywhere <laughs> So we got to talk, like, I know, see, because you haven't announced the track listing, I can't go and say, what about this song? <laughs> what I know, about this I song? I and what about I this song? Right. But no, I just want everybody to look out for it because this is the thing. You guys, you hear I'm excited. You need to look for this album. It's going to give you a summer dance life. It is from house music royalty, black music artist royalty, the legendary Miss Alternate, and it's me you know the deal follow us every week on the Pantheon Podcast Network we're here there's over 70 music shows we're on their main page we have our page it's amazing and follow Amy and I on Instagram at I'ma Let You Finish in Why on Twitter at Finish Ima we still fucking hate that name um, um, you can follow me on Twitch where I do it's uh, twitch.tv slash Court Monty where I do I'ma Let You Finish happy hour mixes and 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 sometimes coffee mixes in the morning and brunch mixes in the afternoon And, you know, follow Ultra. Listen, y'all. We didn't even get into Ultra being a DJ because she's also a DJ and a producer and a label owner. There's so many areas. But you guys need to also... Follow her on Twitch. She's not on there as much anymore because she's traveling around the world. She's back on the road. But yeah. you need to at least follow her Twitch so that when she does come on there live, yeah. you don't miss it. And she does. I and do it,
0: guest on David Morales.
3: I, I was about to say, and you guys need to follow David's Sunday Mass because she will pop up on a Sunday morning on David's. We love you. Thank you, Ultra. Thank you so much for doing this. You, and for all of the gays, and specifically I'm speaking for my black gays. We love you. We have loved you from day one. We, you, we have ownership of you. I know you are a woman of the world, but you are ours first. That is just <laughs> and fine. we love you. You know what I mean? how I got here, right? Yes. And thank you, Still guys. And we'll so see you both. next week. Bye. Thank you, darling. Thanks. Ciao. Ciao.